What's going on? I'm Will. I'm Matt. And this is the Carolina Way Podcast. Bernard to the 40. Will they catch him? Inside the 20. Giovanni Bernard. Tar Heels are the national dadgum champions. The ceiling is the roof. That's what it's all about right there. That's on the floor. That's on your shirt. That's in your heart. That's why we're all here. Will, we have a podcast of many emotions today. Uh, Has not been the best last week in Carolina basketball or football, but we'll try to come out of the podcast with some positive things, but we're definitely going to have to talk about the negatives also. This is going to be a safe space for us Carolina fans, and let's get it going. Already this year, Matt, we've titled one of our podcasts, This is a Safe Space. So I don't know what we're going to name this one. But it's going to be along the same lines. This is going to be very therapeutic for us all, I hope. This is the reason why we're doing the podcast. But don't get us wrong. We're not sponsored by UNC. So we're not afraid to rip off some Band-Aids and hurt a few feelings here and, and make some people cry. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like that's what the student podcast is supposed to do. Uh, we give a non or a biased look, but we also – like you said, have no affiliation to university. We'll leave the fairness to go heels and maybe even inside Carolina, but this is the Carolina way podcast and you're going to get the truth and not only truth. Now here's something I want to touch on real quick, Matt, before we get into breaking down football and then following up with basketball. Did you see the Nick Saban rant to the local, I guess their version of the Roy Williams talk on Monday night or the Mac Brown live this week? Yeah, I did see that. Very, I thought it was a great rant. Um, I think that's going to influence how I, I think about the football season. We'll get into it, of course, but I was thinking about that along the lines of not blaming the players as much as I do some of the coaching staff. But I still, at the end of the day, it only goes so far. I think it only works for football because still for basketball, <laughs> we'll get into it, but I still blame Leaky Black for a lot of, <laughs> lot of problems. But for football, I, I, I guess I – the players are just so endearing to me that I can't blame the players, but so much for certain things that we'll get into. Well, in football, I think it wasn't the players that were saying, Oh, this is the year. This is the year. It was kind of Mac Brown going on every ESPN show saying, you know, we haven't got the Clemson yet, but we got to take down the Clemson's and the Ohio States and the Alabama. So I don't get, uh, as angry with the players because they weren't out there doing media saying that. And I'm not angry at Mac Brown either, but the blame starting to fall on the coaches a little bit more. So I agree with you. And part of it is in the preseason, Mac Brown and what you were saying here, they were doing all the, the local interviews inside Carolina with the national media that Hubert Davis wasn't doing to start the season. We'll get into, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah, exactly. We're kind of led astray. And we said this from early on in the season. And this team, as we talked about, is so up and down. The one thing they are not is consistent. But I guess they are consistent in terms of how their performances keep on being raised and dropping for each game. And it's almost at this point, you could see it coming for some of these games later in the season. Wofford game here, we, we didn't have, we'll, float by this one pretty quickly 
we didn't have Sam Hell. So I came into this game senior day, very energetic to see our backup quarterback situation, how we'd actually be playing Ty Chandler. We also limited his reps in this game. And we had a real breakout star with British Brooks having a career, well, at that point in the season, a career day himself running the football. And we even got to see guys like J.J. Jones start to get a few touches with the football out there, still limiting with our tight end presence. But Chriswell ran the offense very well. And then Drake May pitched it up. He was making the throws that no one else on the football field was making. And I think throughout the entire game, we only had maybe one three and out, Matt, which is, I mean, even though you're playing Walford, you still have to complete passes and, you know, execute on your end not to go three and out more than once in a game. Yeah, I thought the performance was fair. I mean, people don't realize how hard it is to only practice a week without your starting quarterback, let alone the greatest quarterback in, in UNC football history. Uh, Chris Will came in, played great. Drake May came in, looked great for a freshman. I still believe Drake May is going to be the starter next year. But even if it's not May, um, Chris Will uh, gave me hope that he could be a starter and be a great starter at that. So I feel like maybe that game was a little bit of a sign of what next year's team is going to look like. Still have a lot of things to work on because we might should have beat Wofford a little bit better. Um, but that's just be, be being picky. Well, I'll tell you what, then, Matt. Wofford ran the ball in the first half and was only threw two passes in the entire first half. So that clock really was just rolling so quickly that the possessions got shut down so much because I was hoping to see Drake May – come out sooner than he did, but just due to Chriswell not getting as much playing time, we had to keep him in longer and longer, which then made the, you know, end of the game at that point, Drake May just doing handoffs himself, basically, and we didn't get to see as much of his talent. So, you know, you got to, I guess, call the game, put in the players, you know, as the game is going, the, the game flow. So, yeah, like you're saying, we probably should have won by a little bit more. But due to the way that Wofford was playing the game, we were kind of playing the same way of methodical offense, which was obviously working. So, you know, why change it? No turnovers in the game also. I was fine with it. We also had some good kicks from Atkins. So I had no problems with it at all. And, you know, we even had some good senior day performances out there too. Yeah, Grayson Atkins, uh, we'll talk more about him. But how great has he been this year? For the first time since – uh, Weiler, I mean, we have a very good kicker. Um, this guy just doesn't miss, it seems. He, he has been a surprise this year. Yeah, exactly. And we had him last year, too. And he was, you know, probably a little bit more shaky last year than this year. Um, but, I mean, he's really come on to his own this year, too. And we saw now see why he set so many records at the FCS level. Um, now that he's moved up. But uh, unless you have anything else to say about the Wofford game, about senior day or anything like that, I know my boy Brian Anderson's coming back for a sixth year. He wasn't recognized at senior day. So even though I'm going to graduate in five years with two degrees, my boy Brian Anderson is still there for a sixth year. So he's completely figured out how to play the system to stay around, obviously doing it better than me. Brian Anderson, after every year, is like LeBron standing on that stage saying, I'm coming home. This man this man never leaves, okay? He's staying home. He's not even coming home. Uh, I love it. Give me a seventh, eighth, ninth year. Uh, another LeBron reference at that point. 
seven, eight, nine. I don't know what that's going to be. I love more Brian Anderson. Uh, but, yeah, let's move on to the state game as much as I really don't want to. Let's move on to the state game. Absolutely. So, um, I, I didn't get to see too much of the first half. I was a little busy with family, but then I was able to see especially some of the second half and then the end of the game, which I guess is more the mainstay of the game. But we started out – I looked on my phone. I guess I could believe it, honestly, Matt, I'll tell you. We had the punt block, I guess, the first possession of the game for us. State, I, I think, got it right there at the end zone for a touchdown, and we're down 7-0. And then just like that, we're down 14-0, right? Yep. So it reminded me – and the announcers were saying it too um, – it reminded me exactly how the Pittsburgh game went, playing on the road. Um, and even, I guess, Virginia Tech, too, right, that we started off just such in a hole that it was like, man, how are we going to come out of this? Because we were playing just about as terribly as you could. Yeah, down 14-0, everything going wrong, a horrible block punt. Um, I just knew from that point, it was like, oh, this is one of those games. Like, we, this isn't going to go well. Um, because in a rivalry game, it's kind of hard to bounce back from that. If one team gets all that momentum at home in a rocking um, Carter-Finley Stadium, I, I was worried. But then these consistently inconsistent heels score 17 straight, Will, and we're up 17-14. Yeah, unreal, right? And part of it's crazy, too, because our offense, I don't – know what the stat line would be like for this but i'd like to see what our average starting field position is and like how long our drives usually take and then how long our scoring drives are compared to last year because this year i guess because of the offensive line it just takes longer and longer to get down the field and score it seems so being in these huge holes seems to even work even more against it because you know you have to the time is going to be eventually working against you and you know you got to score quicker to get yourself back in the game, but somehow, somehow the defense made the stops that we needed to in the first half late. Our offense turned things around. Our special teams, we knew the punt was going to be blocked this time. So then we had Garrett Walston scamper for a first down for us. So we were even learning about <laughs> how our punt blocks were going to be handled in the game too and adjust off it. Um, but it was a game of special teams, I guess, that we'll get to. But even in the first half, uh, for what I could tell, Sam Howell still, I think he was like 12 of 19, 12 of 20 passing or something like that. So the receivers still didn't seem like we're doing him too many favors. And, it, of course, he was under so much pressure the entire game. I think in the first half alone, State had at least three sacks. Yeah, I know State had three sacks. They were putting a lot of pressure on Sam. Um but then suddenly, like, our defense of line really woke up. Um, and they had – they got, like, three or four sacks uh, real quick, um, which was, you know, something we haven't seen much of. We don't get much pressure on a quarterback. We kind of got lucky. It was a good matchup for us because State's quarterback isn't really a runner. So, we could kind of just really blitz him, and he wasn't going to be able to uh, get out of the pocket. So, we were able to get to him. Secondary – We'll talk more about it, I'm sure, as we get to the end of the game. Secondary still isn't good. Uh, we have many problems in secondary. But British Brooks on the offensive side, while Sam was struggling at the beginning, British Brooks was another 
really big bright spot. I mean, he had his game of the year by far. I mean, he, he barely played any snaps before this game other than Wofford. But this man looked like an NFL-ready running back against State. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad that we just sped the hot hand because I know you, in terms of the game plan, you can probably just go back to your starter and not make these mid-game adjustments. So I am glad that with DJ Jones down with the lower leg injury, I saw that first British Brooks had the opportunity to get more reps in the game and not just give even more to Ty Chandler. But then once he started getting some runs, we just kept feeding him, and he was fantastic. I saw he set his career high, like, he had more rushing yards in this game than his, I think, his whole career, Matt. It's kind of nuts. Yeah. Well over 100 rushing yards. Um, I mean, he played so great. Sam Howell, I didn't know how he would do with running the football either, but he just time and time again saved us with his running of the football. And I thought State uh, would have taken him out of the game because I know that they have a great defensive line. They kind of – like that's kind of the calling card usually – and, um, I mean, they – I guess our offensive line did enough to set up some schemes for him to run the ball because he was so effective at it the entire game too. Yeah, we could say our offensive line did enough, but we all know Sam. Sam just does enough. Whatever Sam has to do, he does it. I don't know if, if you live, listen much to the commentators, Will, but they had an ongoing joke about Sam Howell does not slide. Like, you know, somebody else might slide, State's quarterback might slide, but Sam Howell will not slide. I think Sam Howell slid one time in the game, and it might have been to, like, stop the clock. or Yeah, was that was to right. keep the clock going. Oh, keep the clock going. Yeah, the clock smart. Yeah. yeah. So he had to slide. Like, it would make no sense not to. But Sam Howell just – it's not the most athletic, not the strongest, but this man just barrels over and through people and gets a first down or gets a touchdown when you need one. My memory of Sam Howell, because I believe we've seen his last game, um, will be just how much, similar to my favorite player in Carolina history, Marquise Williams, Sam Howell, when you have to win, he does what he has to do to win. And every game we've lost at Carolina, I might can name one game in his three seasons that could be blamed on him, and that would only be Wake Forest. I mean, uh, Florida State last year. But every other game, we are only in it because of him. This man has been Carolina football for three years, and I'm thankful for that. And he was Carolina football against State again. Yeah, and we saw the tweets that with how UNC's team has performed as a whole without Sam Howell, we don't deserve Sam because of just how much talent that he's brought to the team. And, you know, it seems like – and we've had plenty of podcasts where we're discussing about how well Sam Howell played and then having to – discount it from how bad the rest of the team played just to give him some more uh, love. Um, even with the NFL like scouting this year, his draft stock plummeted. I, I guess you could say plummeted if you, if you could, could have considered him a number one draft pick. I mean, he's still going to be a first-round quarterback because of how good he is. But just, you know, the team never seemed to do him any favors, never kept him in contention to be a Heisman can candidate. And with how every other Heisman candidate has been this year, if the team was even halfway decent playing in the Coastal Championship, uh, uh, getting to the ACC Championship game, he would have been right there in New York. And just because of what, how much or how much value he brings just to the Tar Heels, right? Yeah, and you haven't ever heard him say one bad thing about another player, about the program, about a coach. Um, things haven't been easy for Sam Howell, and it's tough when – 
you are Sam Howe and you're looking and going, listen, I'm doing everything I can and we still, you know, can't really accomplish the goals we want to. But he never seemed to be down on the team, down on himself. Uh, I loved his positive attitude. I think he loves Carolina. And, uh, you know, we're going to miss Sam Howe. I don't know if everybody realizes how much we're going to miss Sam Howe at Carolina once he's gone. Yeah, it's easy to say, oh, we have another quarterback lined up, ready to go. But it's a whole other thing when that quarterback actually has to come in and do exactly what Sam Howell did. And obviously more, because yeah. obviously what Sam Howell did was enough to meet the fans' expectations. So I don't know yeah. how that's going to be met next year. And as we saw in the record books, he has, you know, every record that's even meaningful. I think over the 10,000 yards total offense too, right over the course of his career. Of course he does. Like he hit it all. And then rushing too this year, like totally transformed his game seemingly to work better within our um, offense. He, I want to say he had 58 less rushing yards than Ty Chandler and Sam missed the Watford game while Ty Chandler played in every single game. So Sam was pretty much our best running back. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. So for a guy that can absolutely throw the long ball better than any quarterback in the country, pretty much turn into a running back also, special. Yep. And it was funny, the commentators were talking about how do you replace Javante Williams and Michael Carter? Well, actually, you, you replace them by giving it Sam Howell the, the ball to run more. Yeah. Who would have thought that would be a thing? Uh, especially with how good Sam Howell has been with throwing the ball. But when you have guys dropping passes and it's third down, you pretty much have to put it on yourself. And Yet again, he did it. And the crazy part is all these teams, especially in the second half of the year when you get into ACC play, they know Sam Howell's running the ball and he still avoids being sat. Uh, we draw up even more and more quarterback run plays. I've said the whole year he was going to get hurt. I, we said it like after the first game, I was like, I don't like this. This is not going to last long, but somehow it did. Yeah, and, you know, the one big thing on uh... – like negative thing on his draft stock was Sam doesn't get rid of the ball in time. So what does Sam how do? Sam didn't say, oh, I'm going to get rid of the ball. Sam said, I'm just going to run the ball and get a first down so I don't have to get rid of the ball. Uh, he's a winner. Carolina might weren't the biggest winners while he was there, but he himself is definitely a winner. Um, back to, in particular, the NC State game, threw a couple great passes to Antoine Green. Antoine Green couldn't hold on to him. Uh, so like receiving play, it wasn't only the line receiving play wasn't great. Obviously, I had Josh Downs this year who will be big time for Carolina next year because it was big time this year. But there was just so many problems we had in the state game. Um, we looked good for you know two quarters, and then we looked horrible for two quarters. Well, we actually only looked horrible for one quarter and two minutes. But those two minutes were probably the worst two minutes of Carolina football history. Um, so it's just amazing what, what can happen in a rivalry game. But uh, coaching, I say if you lose a game in two minutes, you got to put that mostly on coaching. Well, also, Matt, it's about how you start the game, right? And if, you, if the team comes out flat, that's, I feel like that's a coaching thing also is to not have the players ready to play. And then if they come back, oh, the players are good enough to actually come back because it wasn't going to be a blowout. We've seen that every game this year. We probably could have – I wish they had a first-line quarter bet because uh, we would be slamming NC State 
every time on something like that about getting off to a quick start against us because it's happened every other game this year. It's also part of coaching that you don't even win a away football game the, the whole season. And you're not even playing in that hostile of places week in, week out. Didn't win a away football game. And I have another stat for you that I think is 100% coaching. Wake Forest was the best team in the ACC this year, a good football team. Carolina beats Wake Forest. So that means Carolina has the talent and the work to beat the best team in the ACC. But while they beat Wake Forest, they lost to Georgia Tech, the worst team in the ACC. When you lose to the worst team in your conference but beat the best team in your conference and you're in the middle, uh, I'm going to have to say the difference between the middle and the best is coaching because, you, I mean, those kind of losses, we talked about this before the season where we said, win the games you're supposed to win and we're okay with losing the games we're supposed to lose. Wake Forest was one I wouldn't have been mad at losing. Georgia Tech was one that you cannot afford to lose. So, you know, that was the downfall of the season, and it happened early, and we knew early it wasn't going to be a good season. And once again, this NC State game, if you're up nine with two minutes to go, you're probably better than that team, especially when you had to come back from 14-0. But then once again, you give it up. It was kind of interesting because it was like a third down play I can't remember what happened, but of course we, I don't think we even got any yardage on the play. So it was fourth and three. The announcers at the time were saying, because it was a little too close to punt the ball. So I think one of them wanted us to go for it on fourth down. Uh, Another one wanted us to punt and just pin NC State even deeper in their own territory because the defense had been playing pretty well in the second half, at least, Um, you know, kind of getting, toward the quarterback a little bit. So you got like one negative play and then you're able to kind of get off the field if you didn't have penalties right. Um, but instead, Mac Brown, I think, iced the kicker per usual. And then we kicked the field goal. And Grayson Atkins, I remember the stat beforehand, he was this season one of four from 50 plus yards, which is fine as a collegiate kicker because you're kind of not really expected to kick over 50 yards, because if you do, you're going straight to the league. Yeah. Um, but when it mattered most, he hit a 50-yarder. And I, even though he did make it by, like, t- a couple feet to spare, I will say, but he made it, and it was accurate right down the middle, too. So huge props for Atkins delivering in that moment for us, because if not, NC State would have had the ball maybe at, like, a 42 or maybe the 40-yard line, I suppose, um, with great field position. But instead – he made the kick, and, of course, UNC being undisciplined, playing loose as they are, were celebrating the kick so much that they ran all on the field. Poor discipline, right, gets a flag, so then you give State the ball with 15 yards back on the kick, so then they got a good kick return because of that. So it was just a bunch of little things, and we mentioned this before that, you know, UNC is kind of showy, kind of flashy, but they aren't really disciplined to be good late in games, and for whatever reason, it's just so bad with clock management, strategy, late in game, situational football has been the Achilles heel of the program in the past few years. But we're so good with like the the flashiness and um, you know with the recruiting that it's kind of offsets, and I'm kind of fine with it. I said if it gets late in the game, you know, be it what it will. But this was a new one, Matt, because we had a little miscue there. 
And then all of a sudden you give NC State their biggest offensive play of the game, um, I guess multiple times. And then they answer it with an onside kick. And it's just like, have we just not practiced any late game situations before the entire season? Because this is the last game of the year if you don't count in the bowl game. So, you know, like, is this, have we not practiced onside kicks? Have we not practiced late game, how to do coverage? how you're going to pass guys off differently than you would in the middle of the game normally, not to give up things deep. Um, just a lot of questions in terms of the way that we handle games late. Yeah, uh, I'll kind of warn up you there, Will. The first game of the Mac Brown era was South Carolina, which we end up winning. But if you remember, Will, our late game clock management of that game was absolutely horrible. So from the first game of the Mac Brown era, we have been bad in late game situations. If it isn't fixed now, and if it is, I mean, it's, it's had to have been on Mac Brown's mind, right? I mean, that was first season, first game. So if it continues to happen, I mean, you got to bring in somebody that can fix that, that can, you know, maybe he is preaching it, but the players aren't getting it. Maybe he needs to switch it up some. I don't know, but this has been a three-year problem, not even just this year. It isn't this team because we have all new players or a lot of new players from that team three years ago. So uh, it is consistent, but if we want to be a good team, not even a great team, just a good team has to be fixed. Yeah. And, you know, that's really the one thing that he came into the program preaching to the players was saying, you've been in the fourth quarter in X amount of games and you lost them because you didn't make like the game winning play, like be the one you need to make a few more plays here and there. And you would have been winning these games. It's not like you're far ways off. So you see a turnaround, but still, even the past two years, we still feels like we're not always making the plays that are, you know, kind of expected for you to make, not even that heroic. We made the heroic plays against like a Miami or Wake Forest with our defensive uh, plays at the end of the game, but we don't make the easy ones or the ones that you should be practicing as if they're routine late in the game. Yep, I agree 100%. It's just I don't know if it needs to be preached in a different way uh, or just is not being preached at all, but one way or another has to be fixed. But, Will, we should kind of move on from football. Uh, I will say one last thing. I saw a bowl projection today projected to be in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl versus Auburn. I don't think I want Auburn because Auburn just took Alabama to a fourth overtime. Alabama could potentially be a a top four team. Um, So we'll see how that goes. Will be a fun game though. So I'll I'll take a little bit of competition. Matt, I have two thoughts for, I have three thoughts for you about that game potentially. First, you're going to see two teams that went into their last regular season game with a 99.9% chance of winning their game respectively and both found a way to lose it. Very impressive. I saw on Twitter one person said Auburn's coaches must have gone to the Mac Brown School of Coaching, which I think is completely correct. That's my first thought. Second thought, we had this UNC-Auburn game scheduled the previous year, 2020 season in the fall Chick-fil-A kickoff game. I know we both would have been there for it, right? Well, that got canceled due to COVID. We only played the conference schedule, if you remember, and this would be a great way to have it rescheduled now because uh, it isn't going to be uh, otherwise. So it would be great to see that game played now. I, I still feel like, and 
even with Auburn, just like UNC, you're going to have opt-outs. Neither team is going to be 100% opted in unless it's like a team that just got out of playoffs and they want to prove a prove something like Texas A&M did, even though they even had guys kind of opt out, if I remember. And then third here, I feel like Sam Howell and Bo Nix, their careers have just been so, at least from a UNC fan's perspective, so intertwined with each other. I feel like we've always kind of compared him and Bo Nix because they have a similar play structure, play style, uh, both very gritty. And even this game, Bo Nix was hurt going into the Alabama game. Sam Howell, you know, honestly was hurt going into the NC State game. I feel like they're very similar. And even though we won't see them playing against each other, um, hopefully on both ways, right, um, I, I still feel like their careers have been kind of similar in terms of what they brought. Like, I think both fan bases probably were expecting a little bit more team success because you had such great quarterbacks, especially starting out the first year, I think, uh, you, you know, Sam Howell gets a huge win against South Carolina game one and the um, Howell, Mac Brown era. And Bo Nix, I think, went in and beat Oregon in a huge game, like a top 10, top 15 matchup to start the year. Um, and then, you know, the teams didn't always back it up with their play. Yeah, that's what brought, uh, brought the Bo Nix hype. And that's that South Carolina game, like you said, is what brought the Sam Howell hype. So they are pretty intertwined. And I think the teams are intertwined because you just mentioned two teams that can give a 99% chance of winning up. Uh, it'd be interesting interesting to see in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl who can blow the game worse. That, that might be what it comes down to. Who can throw enough interceptions or fumble the ball enough times at the end to uh, blow the game? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to move on to basketball now, if you're cool with that. Yep. All right, well, it's been quite a while since our last podcast, so I want to give a quick little rundown, um, kind of storylines that I've saw, saw from watching all these games, and then we can break down whatever you want to with it. Starting out, we were last podcast, we were previewing the Charleston game, and we were talking about what a big game that was for us, the true road environment. We've had two poor, poor, poor defensive performances, and we said something's got to change if you're going to win on the road. And it kind of did. We shut down their best player, John Meeks, uh, repping the 3-3-6. Um, he had a terrible performance, I think, shooting-wise, one of 13, I believe. They had another guy that came off the bench, and he shot just as poorly, actually. Uh, they had a couple guys shoot pretty well from three. And Wofford uh, – sorry, Charleston was up at halftime, right? They are up maybe upwards of 10 points at one point in the first half. But UNC's just started – coming back more and more. Um, Mondo had a great performance. We had two guys scored um, in the 20-point range yet again in this game. And we came out in the second half and we took the lead and we never gave it up after that. And I was proud with how we uh, responded, especially for facing a little bit of adversity early on in the game, getting a road win. Uh, and Roy Williams was the course at all these games. Then we go into the Mohegan Sun against Purdue. And Purdue is filthy, right? They really probably should be ranked number one in the AP polls now. They went on to beat Villanova. We played very well with Purdue, and I loved our energy in the game. And that was really fun for me to watch, just to see the potential that our team has going against such a veteran team like Purdue. And this guy named Eddie, who I'd never even heard of before, who was a monster, and he only scored like eight points against us. Like, we played him pretty well. 
and he scored over 20 against Villanova. Uh, then the next game, we had a huge letdown against Tennessee. I guess we thought that we had like a moral win against Purdue and we didn't even show up against Tennessee. Love to break down that game with you. And then unfortunately, I wasn't able to see the UNC Asheville game. But from what I can tell, the game was actually pretty close, even in the second half before we started pulling away some. So the score is uh, not as comforting as um, watching it probably made you feel. Yeah, I like to group these into two groups. So you have the Charleston game and the Purdue game. Charleston game, listen, defense isn't perfect. Defense is good enough. You go into Charleston was a rough road environment. Like, I mean, they were packed out, small gym, Cameron indoor vibes, students right on top of the court. Like, that place was ready to play against Carolina. And they showed it, and they played with energy, and they played hard, and they weren't bad. They were not a bad team. Um, and we came out with the win, and I was just happy with the win because it was the first road test. Don't forget, Will, a lot of these players have never played a road game with fans. So that was their first experience with fans on the road, and they played well. Purdue game, like you said, played good. Um, I think Purdue is easily a Final Four caliber team, uh, one of the four best teams in the country right now. Man, I, did, I was worried. I was like, this could be one of those games where it gets out of hand, and no. They would punch us, we punch back. They punch us, we punch back. But we never let it get out of hand. We ended up losing by maybe 10 points or some t- something around that. But it wasn't, it was, it wasn't a 10-point game. It was a five, four-point game, the whole game. Um, that is the first group. That is positive Carolina basketball. Not where we want to be, but still, we are a team that can compete in March. Then you have Tennessee and UNC Asheville. Tennessee game is in my time as a Carolina basketball fan, I don't know if I've ever been as let down as I was after the Tennessee basketball game. Effort, defense, rebound, selfishness, not the right answers, it seemed, from coaching at all times, uh, was was everything went wrong. Uh, No motivation by the players. As a Carolina fan, we're used to guys being proud of being Carolina players, uh, no matter how talented they are. We've, we haven't had the most talented teams every year. 2010 wasn't great. 2013 wasn't great. Uh, the last two years weren't that talented. But they played pretty hard, especially on the defensive end, as hard as they could. Tennessee, this team could care less. Like you said, I don't know if they had a moral victory versus Purdue, but it was embarrassing uh, from the top guy to the bottom guy. Okay, so that happens. You know, you got to move on. It happens to every team. Listen, I'm pretty sure that Kobe White team uh, that was a very good team got blown out by Michigan. It happens. Even great teams get blown out. So you move on to UNC Asheville. Turnovers are still a problem. Effort still a problem. Defense still a problem. We had high energy and effort for the first five minutes of the game. After that, we went back to the same Carolina team we were. Luckily, it was UNC Asheville. Uh, you're probably going to wear them down and beat them either way. Mondo was good in that game. Grady Manick has been good in almost every game. Maybe not shooting, but his effort is always there. Uh, overall, the first two games of that road trip, awesome. Last two games, we're starting back at square one. I don't know where this program is. Yeah, Matt, and probably my biggest takeaway through the first part of the season so far is just how much reliance we have on Armando to perform. 
I, I think we really are, are as much as any guy on the team, he's really our MVP guy that we need him to do so much for us in order to win games, in order to compete late in games. We can't have him in foul trouble if we actually want to win games that it seems like he's the only one that can consistently get some of those easier buckets for us that you always need to carry you throughout the game, um, which I think is huge. I think the guard play um, and kind of speaking to the depth hasn't been as much as we were expecting this season. So I don't know if that's because other guys haven't been playing to the caliber that Hubert wants in practice or defensive intensity. I thought that, that having more depth would bring up the defensive intensity, which we haven't necessarily seen so far. Even guys like Kerwin Walton has struggled to even get on the court because of um, what appears to be a lack of defensive capabilities, which is what's keeping him off the court, it seems, at points. Um, so unfortunately, you know, I didn't get to see the Asheville game, but, you know, all of what you said kind of makes sense that, right after the Tennessee game, you would think, oh, just a few days later, great way to get the bad taste out of our mouth and actually get on back on track, especially being a week off. And, well, really more than a week, a week and a day for the Michigan game. But, you know, I guess we didn't really see that, and we got off to a strong start, it seems. And you would think that you would just continue that on against Asheville, but that just didn't happen. So now you have a big-time Michigan team coming in. They lost, I think, by – 15, 20 points to Arizona maybe uh, this past week as well. So they have their first loss, so they're not an invincible team by any means. And they're coming to a tough Dean Dome on Wednesday night at like 9 o'clock. So I know the crowd energy will be there. I hope the UNC players will certainly bring the energy uh, to the game too. But, you know, Michigan's going to be very um, – you know, motivated for this game as well. So it's going to take more than just energy by our players to win this game. It's going to take a lot more execution um, and, you know, bringing it in with terms of communication on defense too. I have a uh, big announcement, Will. Leaky Black has maybe not over exceeded expectations but Leaky Black is maybe one of three players on this team who has actually played defense consistently this year. I am done roasting Leaky Black, but somebody is replacing him. Caleb Love is replacing Leaky Black as my player now. Gasp. And, and I know he is the starting point guard for Carolina, and we have to love our starting point guards. And I do love Caleb Love. And I've never hated Leaky Black. I just thought he could be better. Caleb Love, the same reason I was hard on Leaky Black, Caleb Love has the potential to be one of the best Carolina point guards. And I honestly mean that, and I believe that. He is 6'4", he's athletic, he's long, he, he's everything. I mean, he sees the floor well, he passes the ball well, he can score, he can shoot. But his energy is just gone. This guy only plays hard when he's dunking the ball, but he never gets back. He, ne he, he reaches, and his player gets by him every time. He's quick enough to stop anybody on the court, but he doesn't care to stop anybody on the court. Kind of fed up with it at this point. I think he will get better. I hope he will get better. But for now, I have to be hard on Caleb Love for the season. It's so funny that from a national point of view, you're going to watch UNC play against Duke, and you're going to say, man, this guy's a lottery pick because he shows up in these huge games, which will also be huge against Michigan here to see 
what Caleb Love shows up. But, I mean, you are right with that, just kind of in line with some other point, some of the other guards on the team that you're like, can can this guy really not guard a UNC Asheville player or really a Tennessee player too? Like nothing out of the ordinary in terms of what either team was bringing. And it just seemed like we didn't know what we were doing defensively or just didn't care to. Um, Leaky Black, you can't jump shit that quickly on Leaky. I mean, he don't worry. Time and time again, he'll he'll probably prove us right. So you got to get through a few more games, Matt, before you change course like that. And um, and we'll see what happens. But with Caleb Love, I mean, you're absolutely right. My my player is, as you heard, Kerwin Walton. I just can't believe what I'm seeing from him defensively either. Um, and that's why he's you know not even on the court. So we'll we'll see how this Michigan game goes because after that I think we have like a a few days off and then we have an ACC basketball game at Georgia Tech. Yeah, I mean, you know, all the coaches will always tell you defense is like eighty percent buy-in and effort. So especially when you're six four and can dunk the ball as much as Caleb Love does, can be faster than anybody on the court and quicker than anybody on the court, then there's no reason you're not good defensively other than that eighty percent of effort. So that's the only thing I'd have to say. Like you said, we do have the Michigan game coming up. It will be a test for him. Listen, he shows up in big games, mostly didn't show up against Tennessee, but mostly he does. Uh, then we got Georgia Tech, first ACC game. It'll be interesting to see a lot of questions, so many questions. Uh, whew, I just don't know who's going to answer them or what's, how they're going to be answered, but they have to be answered. Exactly. I know it's early in the season, but you better start seeing some progress. Um you know, especially after this first kind of segment of the schedule is now finished. Exactly. Um, is that all we had, Will? Or Yeah, that's that's all I got for you tonight. I can't wait to be in the Dean Dem on Wednesday night at 9 o'clock. It should be rocking. Yep, this was an action-packed pod, and we'll have, I'm sure, another one coming up in the next week or so. Uh, we love doing this. It's a great day to be a Tar Heel. See you next week. Go Heels.